Well, good morning. My name is Ken DeLage. I serve as the lead pastor here. If I haven't met you, I'm so glad you could be with us this morning. Open your Bible to, drumroll, to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians 9. We just finished a series that was about a year long. If you're just new here, we just finished a series in the book of Revelation. This is typically what we do. We work our way through a book of the Bible. Um, we're going to take a, a brief mini-series here before we get into our next book of the Bible for just a couple weeks that I'll explain in a minute. And then in a few weeks, we're going to get into First and Second Samuel together and kind of go from the end of, from one end to the other in a certain way, from, from the, the consummation and the end to back when David was becoming king and all that God was doing. Uh, back then. So I'm looking forward to that. Isn't it good to be together? Praise God for just a time of worship. Tell you what, I love, I love worshiping with you all. Um, I love worshiping the Lord. I love worshiping the Lord with you all. There, there's something about the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. There's something he does when we gather. There's something about knowing what different people are walking through, even if it's just a few folks, and seeing that they're still worshiping the Lord. Praise God for that. Um, love taking communion. God meeting us. There's a tangible reality to the gospel when we hold those elements, isn't there? There's, every time I go, yep, I needed to remember. I needed to remember. There's a reality that God meets us when we gather, and that's really what we're going to be talking about over the next couple weeks before we get into First and Second Samuel. We're going to talk about how does God meet his people when they gather corporately. And there's, you know, we, we often think of, you know, how do I grow in, in Christ? And what does it look like to, to take advantage of the, the, the means of grace to grow? And we think about private prayer. And we think about uh, private devotions and maybe family devotions and these kinds of things. And those are good and right. But God also meets us corporately when we gather. And so that's what we're going to be looking at for the next few weeks. Grace when we gather. And yep, you've, you've probably had the Lord meet you in worship and maybe through preaching and maybe through communion. The one we're going to talk about this morning, perhaps a bit unexpected, is the grace that comes to us through giving. The grace of God that comes to us through giving. Does God meet us when we give? I mean, I know the Lord meets us in other ways. I, I have felt the Lord this morning, you know, meet us through worship and meet us through communion. Does He meet us giving. I know I'm supposed to give. <laughs> I know it's the right thing to do. I know it's what Christians are called to do. Friends, the Lord meets generous givers. The Lord gives grace to those who give. And I am eager for that grace for you. Before we get to the passage, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 9. Before we get there, I just want you to hear the, the two things on my heart as we get started. The, the smaller of the two, but it's there, is, is to get you to come to Sunday school starting next week. Right? Because we're going to be taking the whole Sunday school class for the next many weeks to talk about Christian generosity. And, and so I'm, I'm eager for that for you. That begins next week. You've got to be generous with your time and uh, be here at 9 uh, starting next week. But the reality is, and I can't get to a quarter of what this passage has to say in this message. Not to mention plumb the riches of Scripture and what God has for us. And so I'm eager for that time. 
uh, in Sunday school. And the reason I'm eager is because, because we can't outgive God. Because, because there is grace available to you as you seek the Lord in being generous with your finances. Um, the giver is the one who's blessed. This is how God has designed it. Um, it you've never seen a person. I think I, I could just say this and you're going to agree. You have never seen a person who you know to be just a generous person who is also routinely unhappy. Doesn't happen. You've met many an unhappy Scrooge, an unhappy miser, but an unhappy, generous person? No. Joy follows in the wake of generosity every time. Like little ducklings following along behind the, the mother. Like joy just follows after generosity. And I want that for you. I want that grace for you. So, with that in mind, we're going to look this morning at 2 Corinthians 9, beginning in verse 6. We'll read to the end of the, the chapter, grace through giving. Grace through giving. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all your generosity, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this servants, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. And Lord, we say that to you as we give attention to your word. Thank you for your inexpressible gift. And would you grant us now the Holy Spirit that we may see clearly your word and see clearly our hearts, that we may walk in the light of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I said, we're not going to really have time to cover everything in here, but we can draw a few important points from this. And the first is where we should start. God's foundation for generous giving. So if you're taking notes, point number one, God's foundation for generous giving. It was a long passage. I want to go back up because these, this point really comes up from verse 6 and 7. So I'm going to read that again. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. 
Each one must give as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God's foundation for generous giving. In short, the foundation for generous giving is the fact that God has given to us. This is, this is where all Christian giving begins. We don't begin by us giving something to God. We begin by acknowledging that God has given something to us. This is, this is how it all gets started. In other words, the, the, the Christian doesn't give out of a sense of duty, out of a sense of, of a debt that needs to get paid off to God, out of this sense that maybe God's going to be a little bit angry if I don't give this particular amount or give to this particular thing. Quite the contrary. It's explicitly said that we're, we're to give as we make up our mind. That's a stunning thing. Each one must give as he's made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion. So a Christian is not called to give by some particular law or compulsion upon us. We're called to give generously and cheerfully. And if we're going to give cheerfully, we have to acknowledge that that's kind of the opposite of giving begrudgingly or giving because we, we feel like we, we have to give. Christian generosity is a response to divine generosity. God has been generous to us, and so we are called to be generous in response to what God has done. It's not compelled, it is cheerfully given. So as I mentioned, verse 7 says, each one must give as he's made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion. So what does that look like in a church? It means that this one gives this much, and that one gives that much, and this one is, is giving this much in this season, and that one is giving this much in this season. And the seasons might change. And as the people change, the, the gifts change because each one standing before their God is deciding what to give before their God and to give it joyfully and generously. So I, I'm going to take time this morning. We're going we're gonna to press into what generosity looks like. I'm going to press you. I believe the word's going to press us on what generosity can look like. But before we talk about us giving, you giving to God, I want to make sure that you know that God's given to you. Because that is where this begins. Um, can I remind you of the gospel again? What a, what, a, what a question to ask this church. Because if, if we were a talking during the sermon church, everybody would say amen. Can I remind you of that? gospel again because the way that the the gospel is presented with regards to money god doesn't back away at all he actually says that 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 god saw our poverty and by that he doesn't mean simply our physical poverty but he saw our poverty our poverty of of relationship our, our, our poverty of sin our poverty of being cut off from god and god being moved by our poverty though he was rich christ gave up his riches so that he could pursue us in our poverty. So that we could become rich through Christ. Rich in the knowledge of God. Rich in knowing him. Rich in restored relationship with him. Rich in forgiveness of sin. Praise God that, 
that the, that the rich God not only gave some of his riches for us, but impoverished himself. Christ giving up the riches of heaven to take the poverty of earth, and then from the poverty of earth to the greater poverty of the cross, taking on sin and guilt and judgment and death so that we could have the riches of God through him. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. This is the foundation for Christian generosity. That's why the passage ends down in verse 15. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Now, what gift is that, you may ask? Well, it certainly, I think it includes more than Christ because it's, it's Christ and then the gospel coming to you and then the participation that we get to have in Christ, all of those things. But, but friends, it, we're talking about the gift of God in Christ. And Paul calls it inexpressible. I would be a foolish pastor to try to express what God has called inexpressible. So let's go. No. <laughs> but there's a reality that, that we, we are going to, as much as we plumb the depths of the gospel, we're not going to get to the bottom. We're, we're not going to climb to the heights. God has been unspeakably generous with us. And friend, if that's not your reality this morning, if you, if you come in aware of poverty within, God's word is for you this morning. He gave up his riches to meet you in your poverty, to meet you in your poverty. Friend, Christ went to the cross so that he could save you out of your poverty, so that you would not have that. And you know what I mean. If you're there, you know what I mean. That inner sense of distance from God. Failure, but you don't know how to fix it. Sin, but you don't know what to do with it. Let me just look to the Lord. Just look to the Lord. Salvation is not earned. Let no one give a dollar for the sake of coming to Christ. No. Christian generosity is a response to what God has given. So let's focus there. Receive freely what the Lord has given to you. So Christian, we're called to give in response to God's generosity. And as it says, each one must give as he made up his mind. Now, you may be thinking, oh good, I'm off the hook. I thought this was going to be hard. I thought, I thought the pastor was going to really press me this morning. But apparently all I need to do is make up my mind about how much I want to give. Well, that's good. Because that's not too hard to do. And you know what? I'll be a little bit generous as I make up my mind about what I'm going to give. Perhaps you were concerned that the pastor was going to say, everybody must give 10%. Or there's some exact figure that everyone must give. And I would say it is stunning. God in his word, Paul here, walks wide around that option saying the opposite, saying each one must give as he's made up his mind. Could have given a percentage right there. Each one must give as he's made up his mind to do. But we are called to be generous givers. And that has a profound and deep meaning. 
which we're going to continue to consider. But, but first, look again at verse 6, because this is how the whole thing got started. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So, so you got this picture here. It's like it's a picture of two gardens, right? You got farmer A and farmer B. Farmer A goes out and plants two tomato seeds in the garden. And because he's a good farmer, two tomato plants grow up. And each plant is just heavily laden with tomatoes. And this guy gets to enjoy tomatoes throughout the summer from his two little tomato plants. Farmer B gets 200 seeds, plants them in his garden, or, or, or 2,000 seeds. He plants now, now, this farmer is, is, is a better farmer than I am. The plants grow after he plants them, right? The plants grow, and, and now 2,000 tomato plants come springing up. I mean, go ahead and just buy the spaghetti sauce factory because you've got plenty of tomatoes to start pumping into it. I think we approach the topic of giving with the question, how much do I have to give? Or maybe, what's the least I need to give? And you see how God just works right around that initial question right from the start. And, and instead, gives us this little story, you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. You sow generously, you reap generously. And so we come in with the question, how much do I have to give? And, and the Lord answers that question by saying, how much do you want to receive? How, how much do you want to receive from me by my grace? And that really moves us from our first point to our second. So the first, God's foundation for generous giving. And the second, God's reward for generous giving. God's reward for generous giving. We see it in the cause and effect in the garden, but we see it more specifically down in verse 11. You will be enriched in every way for all your generosity, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. This is an amazing verse. You will be enriched in every way for all your generosity. God abundantly rewards those who trust Him and give. He is generous in His response to generous giving. Now, many a preacher has abused these verses throughout the years. And in abusing these verses, has abused God's people throughout the years. Twisting it to say, essentially, give money to God, and He'll give money to you. And the more money you give to God, the more money He will give to you. And I will simply note, that is not what it says. It's not what it says. It's not that kind of a thing where God tells us how he will enrich us. Will he? Yes. Will that be monetary? Don't know. He will reward his people for giving. There's no promise of financial reward for giving. Might he reward financially? Yes. Does he? Yes. Is that almost normative? It seems to me it's almost normative. God, I've seen him do that for others. I've seen him do that for me. Praise God for that. But that is not the promise of the passage. The Lord 
will reward those who give. The reward might not be financial. Maybe you've heard it quite slightly a different way. A pastor promising if you give, you know, this much money, then God will heal your body. Heal your marriage. Heal a family member. God has not so promised. To, to, to add on our promises to His promises is wicked. It is evil. Wicked teaching by wicked teachers. Wolves among the flock whose condemnation is just. It's evil. So let's flee from what false, what's false. But church, despite all that, let's cling to what's true. Because there is a promise here. Has he said he will enrich us? Yes, he has. He will enrich us in every way for our generosity. So, while he doesn't tell us how he will reward us, he does say that he will reward us. And so we would be wise to act upon that promise. Will God reward you for being generous? Yes, he will. Every time? Every time. He rewards those who are generous. So, so let, think with me for a moment. What are some of the ways that God could choose to bless one of his children? I'm, I'm going to think creatively here and, and bring you along with me. But I'll tell you, my creativity is less than God's. He has more creativity. And his affection for you is strong. He's a generous rewarder. So, I think of things. Might he give grace to overcome a besetting sin? Might he? Or to resist some temptation that if you had fallen into it would have ruined your life? Might he give you the ability to forgive someone that you've struggled to forgive them for years? But the Lord gives grace so that you could forgive. Perhaps would he give you a, a greater anticipation of heaven? So, so that it, it, it's not just a song that you sing, but it's a song in your heart. Can't wait to see Jesus. Or maybe he takes away some of the lustful clinging to the stuff of earth. It still is so close to our heart. Maybe he gives a greater heart for his kingdom. to See people come to know Jesus. Like, you know you're supposed to evangelize. And all of a sudden you've got a heart for people who are lost. Might he give that? Might he give an opportunity to lead someone to Christ? Or, or give you increased peace during a trial? Or increased joy during hardships? Or greater patience in difficulties? Or maybe he'll give something financial. Or maybe he will give something that's health. Or maybe he'll give you a promotion at work. Those are not off the table, but friends, those aren't the best thing on the table either. God knows how. To bless his people and to reward his people. So, here's, here's what the, the humble servant of the Lord says. Okay, <laughs> I'll take whatever you're given. Lord, I'm going to be generous. Expecting that you are generous in return. Knowing that you are generous in return. So. If you give generously. 
the Lord will respond generously to you. You can out, cannot outgive God. You will not, on the end of that time, think, oh, you know, eh, that didn't work out so well. That is, not the, that is not the attitude of the farmer as the harvest overwhelmed him with fruit. He reaped bountifully. So, you cannot outgive God. And so I want to press in and encourage you to consider what does it really mean to be generous then? What does it mean to be generous? Our third point this morning is that God enables generous giving. God enables generous giving. I want you to consider what it means to be generous before the Lord, to give generously, to give sacrificially. What's the standard? Well, we all know, most of us know, about the, the tithe in the Old Testament, right? Giving 10% of our income to the Lord. It is interesting to note that that Old Testament principle is never repeated in the New Testament. It's hard to make an argument out of silence as though to say it was rescinded. But I'll just say it was not repeated. And again, it sure looks to me that if there was ever a passage in the New Testament that could have repeated it, it was right here. And instead God said, make up your mind on how you're going to give. On the other hand, when Jesus came and began to explain the Old Testament law and apply it to his people, he never lessened it. He always made it more. So, for example, you have heard it said, you shall not murder. But I say to you, whoever's angry with his brother in his heart has already committed murder. Jesus takes that Old Testament principle, and instead of it just being an external law, he applies it to the heart of the person. He says, oh, now this is actually about your heart. And that, that amps it up. Now all of a sudden, it's not, it's not enough to walk around angry anymore. I, but I didn't kill him, you know. No, that's not enough. Or you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to lust after her in his heart has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And he takes, he takes that Old Testament law and he applies it to the heart and the application is higher. And I think that that's how we should look at the Old Testament tithe as well. The Old Testament says give 10%. The New Testament says give generously. Give as a response to what Christ has given to you. I think the second call is actually greater than the first. There's a, there's a heart engagement the Lord is after here. Are you being generous? So I want to just help apply this to two different groups. I don't want you to misunderstand as I do this that I'm somehow enforcing a percentage despite all I've said. I'm not. You must decide, but I'm pressing you to pray before the Lord. If you've never given 10% of your income to the Lord, despite that Old Testament principle, despite the way that that is amplified in the new, I would encourage you to prayerfully consider, Lord, am I being generous? Lord, help me be generous with my income. 
And if you've never done that, let me just say, God bless you this morning. This is a hard one to hear. You might be one of those that you, you've get, you've, you put $20 in the plate every week. 10% is different than that and terrifying. And, and, and as you even begin to think of it, you begin to think of the car that just broke down and the flood that was in the basement and the whispers of the layoff at work and all of these other things start crowding in quickly on your mind, which is why I encourage you to prayerfully consider. And also to encourage you, if you're not at least looking at potential sacrifice, you're probably not sacrificially giving. Look at sacrifice. At least look at it if we're going to say that we're sacrificially giving. So that's the first group if you've never given 10%. And the second is actually those that give precisely 10%. Maybe have for, for years, 20 years. I want to press you as well. Are you being generous with the Lord? Praise God for your faithfulness. That is faithfulness, friends. It's faithfulness over years to give. Praise God for that. But have you substituted a percentage for the pursuit of generosity? We're not called to a percentage. We're called to generosity. What's that look like? And if you're looking for the standard, I'm going to tell you the standard. I've been waiting to tell you the standard. The standard is terrifying. For many years, I've, I've thought that the, the, the minimum standard is 10%, right? No. What's the, what's the standard for Christian generosity? It's not a percentage. It's a person. It's Jesus. And he didn't give 10%. Consider again our generous king, our generous God. That's the standard. Because you're called to be Christ-like. The Old Testament set it up as a percentage that everybody could easily understand. The New Testament instead presents Christ. It's okay. Follow him. Be like him. Receive all that he's given to you. And then respond cheerfully and generously out of that. You can be faithful to give 10%. You can also hide behind a percentage and not hear the call of God to be generous as Christ has been generous to you. Now, I trust I've made everyone uncomfortable, which is good. That was the goal. No. Because we're all called. No, nobody gets away, right? Nobody gets away. We're all called to generosity. And so for every one of us, I, I suspect there's this, whoo, how? How do I do that? How? The car that broke down, the, the, the flood that was in the basement, the whispers of the layoff, the, again, I'm on a fixed income. Here's, here's my temptation. It's probably yours. Hear the call towards generosity. There's something in me that responds and says, Yes, Lord, you have been generous with me. Yes, I want to be generous in return. Yes, I believe your promises. Yes, I believe your reward. And then I look at my bank account. <laughs> oh, 
<laughs> oh, how... Do not forget that God enables generous giving. Don't make the mistake of failing to give because you only look at yourself and what you can do. Look to the Lord. The Lord enables all of our Christian living. The Lord enables all of our Christian giving. He is the one who enables the Christian to give generously. Look again at verse 8. I'm going to back up and read the end of verse 7. God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. And here, here's how we tend to think of this. We tend to think, I would abound in every good work if only I had enough sufficiency to do so. If I had enough, Lord, I would do it. I promise, I really would. If I had enough, I would abound in every good work. And, and here's what he says. He doesn't go from, God loves a cheerful giver, and you are able to give. That, as, as though that was next thing that Paul was going to say. And you got this. You know, come on, you go get them. You know, no. God loves a cheerful giver, and you are able? No. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having enough sufficiency, marginal sufficiency, all sufficiency, and in case we're missing the point, and we do because we're fearful about not having enough, this is, he will give us all sufficiency in all things, at all times, so that we can abound in giving. That's incredible. The Lord provides for His people to enable generous giving. So, very simple message this morning. Very simple application. Test God in this. Test Him. The only place in the Bible where we're told we can test God, and it's actually about giving. Test Him. Determine to give generously. Determine to give sacrificially, above and beyond, maybe more than you've ever given. And see, will He enable it? Test Him and see. He says He is able he said he is able to make all grace abound to you so that you having all sufficiency in all things at all times may be able to, be, to abound in good works. Test him. Don't hang back as though you've got to see it first. Test him and see. And then having given, wait and see. Does the Lord reward generous givers? You won't have to wait long. The Lord rewards those who, who look to Him and who give generously. So, I tend to feel fearful as I hear the call to generosity. Um, that's me forgetting my Father. I don't want you to forget your Father. He provides for the sparrow. He provides for the grass. He'll provide for you and me. And he has promised 
that He will enable us to give and to give cheerfully. And He will reward us for doing so. So may we walk forward and trust Him in that. Amen. Amen. Worship team, come on up. Church, let's stand together. So we, we said that the foundation for all of this was God's generosity to us, that, that our generosity is just a response to His. And so we're going to end with a song that reminds us of how generous our Father is to us. So let's sing together.